Hey guys, what is happening? Welcome back to the show. This is Creating Space. This is episode number 50, 50. 50 interviews have passed, 500 interviews more, I hope. But I'm sitting across from a real mover and shaker and innovator in society, and he's not even 30 yet. This is Phil Michaels. He is the CEO of Timbo. And in 2016, the Timbo team was named to the Forbes list for the top 30 under 30 for social entrepreneurs. Now, what is Timbo? Timbo educates children ages zero to six around the world via text messages. And IBM has coined them as the Uber of education. That's right. This is episode 50. This is Phil Michaels. Phil Michaels, what is happening, my bro? Welcome to the show. Hey, Wes. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and grateful for the opportunity. Well, it took me some time to put together that introduction because there were so many things that I needed to put in there. I felt like <laughs> I needed to put in there. I hope I uh, did you well by the intro. I'm so excited to bring you on to Creating Space. And I can't think of a, a better guest for episode number 50, man. You did an incredible job and I'm looking real forward to continuing the conversation and really excited to be here. So I, I lead my life with gratitude. It's probably one of my best weapon that I have for life. So tell me this, Phil, to start this thing off, man, what are you juiced about? One of my favorite aspects about your work is how you are so in tune with gratitude and giving back and adding value to other people's lives. And one thing that I'm grateful for is also being able to add value to people's lives. One of my favorite quotes is by Nelson Mandela, which is, education is the most powerful weapon to change the world. Mm. And it aligns with my passion right now as we're educating children to make an impact on the planet. So what I'm most grateful for, I would say, is to maximize other humans' potential. It's a, it's a noble life's work. It's something that I feel so passionate about on a day to day basis. It's how can I become a better version of myself and then pour over onto others to help them maximize or chase the best version of themselves? It's, it's right in line. Timbo is excellent. But I got to know to start this off, man, what is the name Timbo? Explain to me what that means. Sure. It's a great question. Probably one of the most common questions we get. Tembo means elephant in Swahili. And the reason we chose an elephant to represent our social enterprise is because elephants are known for being compassionate mothers in the animal kingdom. And our education focuses on the mothers of the children. So we felt like it was the best symbol for our social enterprise. I love that. You know, compassion is a, it's a very important word when it comes to everything in life, right? all the way down from education, but also innovation and looking and observing your your audience and seeing where the holes are and, and how to fix uh, and, and implement different systems and processes to improve the world. It's all coming from compassion. So sure. Timbo, Timbo, there's so much, man, you, so much purpose, so much intention with what you're doing. Um, walk me through a little bit about how you uh, kind of landed on that and if if there were other names that were in that running. Sure. So when we first started out, we had been living in developing nations around the world. And 
experienced a lot of initiatives donating food, water, housing, healthcare. And to us, it was, it was putting a Band-Aid on a problem. It was giving the man a fish rather than teaching him how to fish. Mm. We figured, why not educate people to solve their own problems? It seems like a much more sustainable approach. And why not start with the earliest age possible? Zero to six is the most imperative for brain development, which is why we start there. So then we asked ourselves, well, where should we start? And we found there's more zero to six-year-old children living in sub-Saharan Africa than anywhere else in the world. So that was a no-brainer. And then we asked ourselves, well, how are we going to get a curriculum all the way to sub-Saharan Africa? And that's when we found they're the most dominant phone market and fastest growing phone market in the world. However, they use something called a feature phone rather than a smartphone, which is essentially a phone that does not have access to internet, data, nor mobile apps. So that's why we decided to use text messages rather than a mobile app. And so we lived in Nigeria to start because it's the fourth fastest growing population in the world arguably the fastest growing phone market in the world. So we felt like that was the greatest need for our service. And we built the business and had a great start. We're on track to reach over 7,000 children in Nigeria. And then we came back to America. And the most common question we received when we returned back to America was, when can you bring this here? We need this for our own children. (laughs) No kidding. So that's when we decided to pivot the business model look into the competitive landscape and find the closest competitors. And we found that we have first mover advantage. There's no one doing quite what we're doing. And so we decided to build out a model that can serve the U.S. with the vision that would act similar to a Tom Shoes one-for-one model, where every child we educate here in America allows us to educate more children in developing nations. Oh man, Phil, that's incredible. You're making education accessible, man. And and that's the most important gift you can give someone, right? I've seen a couple of videos where you're in Nigeria and you're watching the faces on on the mothers of the children whom you're educating and you're seeing the impact of what you're doing. They're wearing it on their face. They're so grateful for what you're doing. What, what does that feel like to you, Phil? Can you put words around that feeling? Sure. And I think that's probably the most heartfelt moment I've had realizing how special our idea was, was being in the base of the pyramid in some of the slums and seeing the, the look on the mother's faces. It's almost like a weight has been lifted off their shoulders that they finally have an opportunity to lift their child above and beyond what they ever expected they were capable of and giving them a chance they might not have ever been able to give their child. Seeing the look on the mother's face when they see their child exude this new sense of profound intelligence that they've never had before, especially in front of their peers, other parents. It's a fantastic and and very heartfelt moment that I wouldn't pass up for anything. I can't imagine any uh, other feeling that you could get from anything else in life actually rivaling that feeling, huh, Phil? That's, that's a great point. And we really focus on building that bond between mother and child. And this goes back to how the model's built. How it works is we send one activity per day to the parent from our curriculum. 
The parent then educates the child, and then we reward the parent for educating their child with free incentives. The incentives in developing nations like Nigeria are free minutes and texts directly to the mother's mobile phone to reward them for educating their child. In America, the incentives are a Visa gift card, a discount at their grocery store, etc. Listen, there's no better incentive for a mother to be able to continue to communicate with her tribe or her community and doing an incentivizing education for her family. It's genius. Where were you, Phil, when you started to come upon this idea, when this idea came to you? Sure. I, I think, you know, growing up, a typical American underdog story, uh, single mother, abusive household, my father was a homeless veteran, and I was lucky enough to help him get back on his feet. And I'm very grateful for that moment. I think living in the base of the economic, socioeconomic pyramid helped me understand and empathize with those that might not have been afforded the same opportunities as others. And that built the perseverance, the grit, the the gratitude that I have today for that childhood to help me overcome and persevere over the obstacles that we now face as a business today. And I don't think if I, if I didn't have that opportunity, we wouldn't be here where we are today because it really helped me understand what it takes to provide value for others, regardless of the sacrifices you have to personally make. And so I had, I was surrounded by a phenomenal team. I recruited 20 team members required them to meet every single night while we were full-time students. I was getting a dual degree, two master's degrees, and we still met every night. And and through time, it weeded out those that weren't as committed, weren't as passionate, weren't as dedicated to achieving this mission, this, this, this work that we set out to do. And and I ended up with the great co-founders I have today, which are have lived with me in Nigeria and, and really helped me develop the, the business model. It's very much a team effort. It's so hard to find people with similar discipline and a mirrored sense of passion for an idea that's not necessarily birthed of their own. You know what I mean? So talk to me a little bit about today's society when it comes to discipline, it comes to work rate, it comes to passion, it comes to love and empathy and all of those things that I feel like your past experiences kind of fundamentally taught you explain to me kind of what you learned about humans going through this vetting process of working with you know in their own right very highly motivated people i think your listeners would probably agree to this i think we're, we're there's a paradigm shift going on in what people are willing to accept for their life they're no longer willing to settle for a, a life that's less than what they're capable of achieving And Steve Jobs in his 2005 commencement speech at Stanford was saying, if you haven't found your passion yet, don't settle, keep looking. And I think 99.9% of people, they end up settling for a nine to five job or a job that's less than what they're capable of living. And in in my personal opinion, I think every one of us, every one of you have this unbelievable talent, innate ability to change people's lives. And our, our mission in life is to find what that passion is, 
find what that natural born talent, innate talent is. And then once we find it, we maximize it, we optimize it and make sure we can do whatever we can to share it with as many people as possible to make their lives better. But what most people do is they end up getting distracted by money, by cars, by things that don't necessarily matter at the end of your life. And so they end up settling for a life that's less than what they're capable of achieving by getting the job they no longer like or aren't even interested in, Mm -hmm. getting the job that isn't fulfilling them, but it's enough to pay for the things that they just bought. Ah, it makes me cringe, Phil. It makes me cringe. (laughs) And they wear it on their faces, don't they? You know, you can see it in their energy. You can hear it in their voice. Um, They age quicker. Their bodies fall apart. Uh, they, part of them smells as if they're dying inside. And I, it is a part of the creating space movement to ignite that soul purpose inside and to help guide people to where it is that that passion lies, right? Because it's just inside. Nothing exterior out here is ever going to fix any of the things that you feel on the inside. It's all that, that journey inside, isn't it, Phil? So let me ask you that question. I call it the magic. We all have, we're all a sorcerer of our own magic, right? Like what, what did you feel was your initial magic that you kind of fell upon that you realized was your gift, which obviously has turned into Timbo? Sure. That's a great question. And this is why I love your work with creating spaces. You're, you're adding that shock value, your message that you, you allow other, others to take as their own and really empower them is is giving them the the pathway the conduit for their success which i think is is fantastic and that's really what happened to me i didn't really feel that i had the parents that could act as role models for me to get to where i wanted to be and so i was pre-med i was a graduate work for the new york yankees team physician and i i thought i had always wanted to be an ophthalmologist, an eye doctor, an eye surgeon. And it took me reading self-improvement books and really taking the time to self-reflect to understand that this was not the life that was meant for me. This is less than what I'm capable of achieving. And sometimes people wait till they're 50 years of life and later. Right. And I'm, I'm lucky and grateful that I've, I've realized it sooner rather than later. But I read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And that was like the gateway drug to self-improvement knowledge and books and self-reflection and understanding my value as an individual and what my destiny is here on this planet and what legacy I want to leave. And that's parlayed into me reading so many other books. I now read a book a week to keep my knowledge at its peak state. And it led to me reading so many other books, getting acquainted with Tony Robbins's work and other leaders, thought leaders in this space like you, that allowed me to understand the value that I have. And I think that's the most important is, is taking as much time as you can to understand yourself and go through those stages of learning to find out and really be honest with yourself and why you're here. You know, what I love is that 
instantly when you said a book a week, I'm, my competitive nature is like, man, I can't even read a page a week. This guy's <laughs> a book a week. And then I think about how viciously I am listening to podcasts and audiobooks in my own right, right? And what I want the Creating Space tribe to, to learn is obviously you can tell how intelligent Phil is by the way he speaks, by his choice of diction, by his calm, smooth delivery and his his vocabulary. However, we all need to know ourselves, right? We need to know our strengths. And guys, it's hard for me to sit and read a book. It is extremely hard for me to sit and read a book, but in knowing myself and the self-reflection that Phil is talking about coming into this real relationship with yourself, you can, you can identify what your ways of constantly learning and shifting and pushing your own boundaries. So I, I really love, Phil, that you mentioned things that are really invaluable for you. The talk of uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, I've read it. Great book. My book that sent me on my journey was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People from Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey, yes. Ooh, what Great a book, book that was, man. Um, that book Great still book. is like shrouded in highlights and, and the corners are, are turned. It's one book that I actually could get through, Phil. So I love it. <laughs> yes. I think everyone, just like you said, everyone has their own path and everyone needs yeah. to be honest with themselves of what their path is and find out what's going to get you there fastest, what's going to get you to your goals fastest. And for some, it may be reading. For some, it may be modeling someone else's behavior, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, experiencing, traveling, whatever it may be to get you to the next peak state is is what you need to work on. And you won't know that unless you self-reflect. Oh man, that's so good. You will not know it until you take the venture inside and you listen to yourself. We always have that inner voice, that intuition that's guiding us. And it's it's not until you get a good relationship with that voice and you start to understand that voice that you start to optimize, right? You start to, yes. to maximize. And they become Exactly. And they become, like I was saying earlier, I didn't have those parents to really set the, the framework, the model for me. So those books became my role models. They became my parents. They're the ones that lifted me to the next level. So that's why I think I became so in love with them is because they became my parents. They showed me the way out. They showed me the way to ultimate freedom, which is when you no longer have to have others decide your destiny. It's when you, you no longer stuff. have to have others deciding your destiny. Powerful, powerful stuff. Phil, talk to me about a couple of uh, fundamental things that you've learned from the mentorships, from the authors that you're reading, from any of the material that you're digesting. Talk to me about some of the things that are in the forefront of your mind right now that you've learned in recent history that have been impactful for your life's work. Sure. I think three, three main things I can go over. One is the using the brainstorming strategy that I think we discussed earlier, which is the yes and strategy for ideation. Some of you may be thinking, well, I have an idea. I just don't really know where to get started or what to do. And one thing I've learned is how to brainstorm properly. I know people throw that word around like it's some esoteric uh, idea or meaning. But really, there's a strategy behind it. And there's really three steps to brainstorming properly. One is the idea generation point, where you meet with ideally three, three to six people, and you're just throwing as many ideas on the board as possible. Every idea is a good idea. You cannot work, use the words no 
and but. You can only use the words yes and and. And this allows for you to facilitate as many ideas as possible rather than suppressing people's thoughts. You're propelling people's thoughts. Mm. You're getting as many ideas generated as possible. Write them up on the board. Number two is then moving through voting on the top three of those ideas. So this is step two in the brainstorming process. You're voting on the top three ideas that were thrown up on the board during that idea generation process. And then lastly is the step three of brainstorming is evaluating with pros and cons. So you take those top three from step two and you now write down the pros and cons of each of those ideas. And that will usually come up or determine a a winner, indicate the one that sticks out the most. That's going to help you move to the next step of your business, your social enterprise, your nonprofit, even yourself. If you surround yourself with like-minded individuals, you have your own personal board of people that love and care about you, you can act, let them act as a sounding board to brainstorm. So that was one thing I learned is how to brainstorm properly. Let's take a second. Sure. That is a massive hint. That is a massive life hack for so many people in the Creating Space tribe. If you didn't take a second to jot those down, pull out your cell phone, open up the notes section, or write down onto a notepad, I think you should rewind in a second and go back and learn how to brainstorm and ideate more efficiently. Such a good idea, Phil. We've actually at the Creating Space Tribe, since watching your video where you explain that, we use the yes and technique in our ideation sessions. And it is magic, my brother. It is magic. So I love that you led with that. And I'm so excellent. I'm, I'm just so, no, I'm not surprised. I'm just so happy that you came <laughs> with it uh, with your own and I didn't have to pull it out of you. It's awesome, man. I love it. And then uh, probably an, the second thing I, I've learned in, in my education is that the education system is antiquated. The fact that we're still teaching the same things to different people, regardless of their passions, regardless of their interests, regardless of where, how fast they learn, what types of, of mediums they like to learn through, we're still having a lecture, lecture to 20, 30 people about the same information in the same medium. It's just antiquated and it's almost ludicrous to think that every one of us learns the same way at the same speed and is interested in the same things. I mean, when you go home and I go home, we Google different things. We YouTube different videos. We're interested in different things on Netflix. So why would we think that we learn at the same speed or are interested in the same thing? So I think we're moving to a one-to-one learning approach. If you look at Coursera, Khan Academy, Udacity, they're all moving to a one-to-one learning platform, and we aim to be that for the early age group, zero to six. So I think educating yourself, being a self-improvement junkie and learning as much about yourself as possible is really a critical learning moment for me, and that's allowed me to not make as many mistakes as an entrepreneur. One of the biggest mistakes I ever made as an entrepreneur, and this this I share with any entrepreneur, it's I thought because I'm an entrepreneur, now all I need is an investor. And that was the biggest lie, the biggest myth that I had ever believed. And I know how many of my friends who are entrepreneurs believed the same thing. And when I was lucky enough to meet Mark Zuckerberg at Stanford, and he gave the best advice ever. He said, Phil, 
the best person to raise capital is not from your investor. The best person to raise capital from is your customer. And it was so simple, seemed so trivial, but it was mind-blowing for me to completely shift my mindset from a procure funding, talk to investors, ask, 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 rather than let me be laser focused on my operations to build as much value as possible for our end users, our audience, which is parents and children. As soon as I shifted my mindset to that, everything changed in a positive way. Wow. Investors started coming to us. It was kind of like dating. You know, as soon as you started saying no, now they're. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a great analogy. So now we have tons of investors. We're not raising capital yet. We completely said, you know, let's let's be laser focused on operations, provide as much value as possible. And when we're ready to scale and grow an already successful business, that's the only time we'll, we'll need investment. And that's what we're focused on now is let's let's continue building out this USA model. We're months away from launching in the US. You can sign up on our wait list right now. We're really, really excited about that. And I try to share this with as many entrepreneurs as possible because I fell into that trap of thinking I will not be successful unless I have an investor. Right. I have that same fear. And we've had multiple conversations about uh, I come to you for advising with creating space and making the right decisions. And you've told me that on multiple occasions. It's the 5149. You should always be giving more than you're ever asking for or taking. And I'm not going to lie. It's the most beautiful business model ever. If you are laser focused on your process, making sure that you're constantly innovating and evolving and shifting and changing things to improvement, you will win yes. in the long and run, you're, right? You're going to, you know, what most commonly I see entrepreneurs are trying to procure funding just to get a minimum viable product, an MVP. That's right. too early. You, you should never have to raise money to build an MVP. Build an MVP by bootstrapping. Build your proof of concept by bootstrapping getting in front of customers, learning from your customers, build value from for them, and then the investors will come. Yeah. When you build value for as many people as you have, people will start coming to you because they understand how many people can can benefit from your service or your product. And I think that was just such a critical learning moment for me, um, and I hope I hope it helps others. So what are some really efficient ways that you've found to do some market research with your clientele and figure out what they need, how to improve your product and kind of walk us through that process. Sure. It is something as simple as getting out in front of your customers, talk to people, have a conversation. It's so different than what we're expecting. I mean, there's something called the zigzag principle. When everyone's zigging, you should be zagging. So when everyone's building a mobile app, we're using text messages. Yeah. So when everyone's expecting everything to be some esoteric, I need a big business plan, I need to do all this. No, just go to a customer, walk up to them and ask them questions. Say, hey, let me ask you a few questions. I want your opinion on something. Everyone loves to give their opinion. Right. So talk to the people that you think would be your target audience without being subjective, meaning do not mention your brand name, do not mention what you do. You want an authentic, organic response. And the way you do that is by just simply asking objective questions 
that are not tied to any hidden agenda. You're just trying to understand them more because when you understand your customer more, you're able to build more value that's tailored directly to their wants and needs. Mm. There's a great book I read that helped me through this process called The Lean Startup. It's all about building your minimum viable product, how to bootstrap your way to building a a service or product without needing to procure funding, without needing to build a business before you even have something that's valuable, something that's even viable. You need to talk to customers first to see if this is even the right opportunity for you. Um, I mean, this, another book that really helped me out with this is learning how to focus. So this is probably my third most critical learning moment of, of the past several years is how to focus and manage times when I'm under pressure. And Mm. it's all focus is an acronym that stands for follow one course until success focus. And I learned this best from the book, The One Thing. The author is Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams Real Estate, which is the largest real estate company in the world, if I remember correctly. And The One Thing teaches you all about focus and a cognitive bandwidth. Every single day, you start out with only X amount of cognitive bandwidth, a limited amount of cognitive bandwidth. So as soon as you wake up, every decision you make from what you wear to what you're going to eat depletes that cognitive bandwidth more and more as you go throughout the day. So what he teaches you, and I'll do it in as short as possible, is how do you maximize your cognitive bandwidth? How do you maximize your cognitive bandwidth so you're using the most of your creative energy for the important decisions, like creating value in your business, serving your end users, your audience, rather than what am I going to eat today? What am I going to wear today? Which depletes your cognitive bandwidth. So you have, if you use up your cognitive bandwidth on making decisions like that, you no longer have any left for the more important decisions, like how you're going to better serve your audience. And that was a huge learning moment for me because what do most people do as soon as they wake up? They answer emails, they get (laughs) text messages, phone calls, social media, all the easy, trivial things. Now, their cognitive bandwidth depleted. So when it comes time to do the hard things, they don't have any left. So you want to do your absolute hardest, most difficult, most cognitive bandwidth consuming task first. The one that you've probably been putting off more than any other. That's the one you need to start your day with. So how do you even get to a mindset that does that? What I do, and everyone has their own method for me, start off my day with drinking water with lemon, 20 ounces before I even get out of bed. And then I'll do my 20-minute meditation, and I'll do some journaling for gratitude and giving thanks and praise to those that have given back the most. And as soon as I start my day off like that, I act more proactively rather than reactively throughout the rest of my day. And that's really helped me focus. That's that's one hell of a habit uh, a structural habit that you have for your day to set yourself up for success. I'm about 10 minutes right now in meditation. 20 minutes to me seems like a lifetime. 10 minutes right now, which is pretty good. I need it to be guided. I don't know if you guys 
have ever heard of the Headspace app, but the Headspace app is what I use to kind of get me there. And then the gratitude journal, um, five, the five minute journal. I'm not sure if you have ever heard of that, Phil. Maybe yes, you have. I actually have two of them right now. <laughs> <laughs> the five minute okay. journal, which was sent to me by one of the former podcast guests named Kevin Rimple. You guys can check him out. Uh, former bronze medalist in the Paralympic Games over in Sochi, Russia. He sent me as a thank you for coming on to the podcast. He sent me a five-minute journal. And I'll have to say it's one of the best gifts I've ever received. It's a great resource. And the, the Headspace app is also a great app. So I'll typically use that for one of my meditations each day, 20 minutes. And then I'll use Transcendental Meditation, which is an unguided version. That's another 20 minutes. So I try to get two ses- sessions in per day. You're 20 beast. minutes each, which would be 40 total minutes of meditation <laughs> a day. Ew, come on, man. It's, so, it's, prob- it's arguably the number one skill I've learned in the past 10 years. Cause really, if your you mindset attribute, of all things, Phil, that you've learned, you would attribute your best skill to meditation. All right. I got to know why. 100% because your mindset is everything. The business is only as good as the founder. And so you have to make sure that the founder is in its peak state mentally, physically, emotionally, socially. And the way you do that is by setting the mindset first, setting the foundation. I'm a huge believer in making sure you're always acting proactively in an aware, mindful manner rather than reactively. And with all the distractions out there nowadays between phones, text messages, apps, friends, family, emails, there's just so much out there and we're drowning in information, seeking wisdom, And how do we do that if we're not aware, if we're not mindful, if we don't have clarity and we don't have focus? And so meditation helps set the foundation every day. It's the minimum amount of effort with the greatest ROI. Mm. And that's really helped me determine everything else. Yeah, meditation meditation has really brought to me that, that comfort and that relationship with the inner guide that intuition. There are times now where I'll be walking in a direction and I'll feel intuition say, ah, you probably shouldn't go this way. And (laughs) and I won't fight it any longer. I just have a pure understanding that I don't need to question it. Right. I'm I'm just going to follow that. Okay. That's what, that's what you're saying. I'm not going to fight you anymore. It's a great point. You, you know what I realized and Wes, you just made me think of it is that when people say, trust your gut, listen to your gut, what's your instinct? I never really was able to conceptualize it. I heard it, I listened to it, but I didn't use it. And I didn't use it because I wasn't recognizing what my gut was saying. And what meditation has allowed me to do is become more cognizant of my gut. What is my gut telling me? What is my instinct telling me? And now, now my gut doesn't tell me. Now my gut screams at me and it's like, <laughs> okay, all right. You know, it literally yeah. is that, that voice, um, yeah. in, in, inside the head. Uh, and, and I'm a mindset junkie, Phil. So I know what it feels like to go all in on the way that you think, the way that you perceive the outside world. And it's all indicative of how you feel internally or what's processing upstairs. Um, what are some habits that you have, uh, in your business mindset that, kind of attribute to the success that you're talking about? Sure. That's a great question. There's this, there's this famous Ted talk by Bill Gross 
and he's the founder of Idea Lab, where he studied 10,000 plus startups trying to find out what are the variables that indicate whether a startup will be successful or unsuccessful. And he measured Airbnb to Ubers, all the great successes to all the failures. And he identified five main variables. And I think you'll be surprised at what you hear because I was. Most people think it's business model or funding that's going to contribute to whether or not a startup will be successful. Whereas he found the five variables, starting with the most important, was timing. Number two was execution of the team. Number three was the idea. Number four was business model. And number five was funding. He said number four and five barely matter. Number four, the business model is always changing. It's always pivoting. As you learn new information, you're going to pivot your business model to meet those value chain needs. With regard to funding, anyone can bootstrap their way to a minimum viable product. And once you provide value for your end users, the funding will come. So really, number one is timing. I mean, if you look at Uber, there was Ubers before Uber. There were tablets before the iPad. It was simply the timing was perfect for when these products and services came out that allowed them to be more successful than all the other startups. So I think that was one habit I've learned in in business was focusing on timing, making sure that I am always up to date on the newest information, always pioneering the newest technology to make sure I'm up to speed on what what's relevant at the current moment because things change so fast nowadays. So habits, really, I start out my day with my water with lemon to alkalinize, alkalize the body, meditate, I journal. Sean Aker of Harvard University did a famous uh, TED Talk on identifying what are the, the five uh, least amount of effort, you, five things you can do with the least amount of effort for the greatest return on investment for happiness. And one of those was gratitude, writing down three things you're grateful for but they have to be within the first, uh, sorry, they have to be within the past 24 hours. Because what do most people do when you ask them what they're grateful for? They say family, friends, my health. And so it become, you become desensitized to it. It becomes routinized, routine. So you no longer have the same impact when you say what you're grateful for. So he says, write down one, he said, one thing you have to do is write down the three things you're most grateful for from the past 24 hours. Number two was give thanks and praise, and it has to be to a different person each day. So whether you send a text message, thanks for the birthday gift, thanks for being there for me, whatever it may be, that's short. Number three was writing down three positive events, three positive details about a positive event that happened in the past 24 hours. He said the more specific you are, the better. So if a positive event happened within the past 24 hours, you know, maybe you like the shirt someone was wearing. Maybe you like that feeling that you had during that event. Whatever it may be, the more specific, the better. Number four was a bare minimum of 15 minutes of cardio exercise or more per day. And then lastly was meditation. And he said the meditation can be as simple as two minutes of closing your eyes and just focusing on your breath. So I try to incorporate those five happiness tips from Sean Aker into my daily life, that helps me make better decisions in my business. So really it's about, you know, if, you, if, if you're hearing me, 
It's about you as the entrepreneur, not about the business. Because at the end of the day, the investor, your audience is believing in you for the value you're providing, not the business. And if you cannot tell that Phil is massively passionate about staying innovative and continually evolving and focusing on his mindset, like I'm not sure you have a pulse over there on the other <laughs> line. So this is why it was so important, Phil, to get you on the show. Episode number 50 was an obvious selection. Um, you and I were brought together by a mutual friend in Zach Lansat, one of the leading salesmen here in Charlotte, North Carolina. He is a really, really savage businessman, but at the same time, he's a really, really great friend. And I'm super grateful that he has brought us together. You've advised me in creating space. You have told me a little bit about some of the next decisions that I can make. I'm massively grateful for you. I love, as we round this thing out, I'd love to go on a quick fire session where I just throw you a couple of questions and right off the top of your head, you give me a quick answer. How do you feel about that? Sure, happy to do so. And and just to thank Zach, I'm really grateful to have you and Zach in my life. So thanks. Yeah, man, I think that now more than ever, I'm just excited about life because when you become when you become sure of who you are and you strip away all the layers, you begin to magnetize the right people into your life. And um if if I'm magnetizing a guy like yourself into my life, I'm doing something right because you can play, uh, you know, so many different positions in my life as a friend, as an advisor, uh, a confidant. Hey, things are things are looking up. If this is the direction that we're headed, man, so I'm super excited. Um, when it goes when it goes to the quick rounds of questions, here we go. First question: Name for me your biggest mistake as an entrepreneur. Thinking I need an investor. Mm. What about your happiest moment? My happiest moment would be when I realized I was writing my own destiny and not letting others write it for me. So was that the turning point? It's the turning point, point for everyone, I think. What's the one place in your life, be it location or mindset, that you'll never go back to? Relying on others to determine my destiny. Wow. Powerful. I think you guys see a trend here. What about <laughs> this, man? You can feel my juice. Like I'm a high energy, energetic, high energy guy. What gets you juiced, Phil? What gets you turned on when it comes to crushing your day and ready to go? What gets me juiced is when I hear others that are passionate about creating a life that's beyond what they ever expected themselves to achieve. And my personal goal is to leave a legacy. And I challenge your audience to do this too, is create a life that allows you to create an impact regardless of whether or not you exist on this planet. Our life is so short here on this planet as individuals. Uh, to me, it's not enough to just get a nice house, a nice car, have kids in it and die. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I, I want to create something that lives well beyond my lifetime. That's going to positively impact generations for the future, regardless of whether or not I exist on this planet. So I challenge them to do the same. Creating space, try less, 
go. It is about <laughs> legacy. It is about living for others, a life that is built upon making other people better, but it starts with yourself. And that is what Phil has taught us today. Last question, man. Um, you know what? I was so grateful on my bike yesterday riding. It was about nine o'clock at night. I had just come from an ideation session where we used yes and to build a webinar mm-hmm. to help people with, uh, their, their individual brands and being able to market themselves and whatever their ideas are. I never a year ago ever would have thought that creating space would have been at 50 episodes that I would be even called in the same breath as, as the word thought leader that people would be looking to me for advice, for motivation and inspiration. And I was overcome, Phil, with tears, tears of happiness, tears of gratitude. And like, I'm not talking about a couple of tears. Tears were rolling down my face last night I was I was riding my bike on my way back home. And I'm totally okay with that. And I was so happy that I can still feel all this happiness. Phil, when was the last time you cried? And I think being an entrepreneur, it, it feels like you're almost jumping off a cliff every day. <laughs> <laughs> it's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And if you're not almost crying every day, then you're not working fast enough or hard enough. And so I, I'm almost brought to tears just like you almost every day by the, the gratitude I not only have for being lucky enough to be born in America where we have a lot of freedom and opportunities afforded to us that most people in the world don't, but also that I can somehow use my life to act as a conduit for positive energy to travel through and impact others in, it, in an impactful way. You're a strong conduit, man. You've got a you've got a huge magnetic cord, a big pulse, and you're changing lives, man, through education. And my father was 37 years in the educational system. He retires at the end of this school year. I was built by a man who is a natural born leader, super powerful, and led through education. So episode number 50, the serendipity of it, man, I'm super excited to see you fundamentally shift the educational system around the world. I'm excited to watch you grow and I'm I'm excited to have you a part of the team to where if ever I need some advice, I got a I got a beast on the line I can give a call to. Thanks Wes and for any of your listeners, uh if you are a parent and you happen to have a child prenatal through 6 years of age, please sign up on our waitlist on our website. Let, and that's We'd a great that's you. a great reminder. Let the Creating Space Tribe know where they can go to to find all of the services that you provide? Sure. Our website is www.temboeducationgroup.com and our social media handles are at Tembo Education. Fantastic. Creating Space Tribe, I know it's been a long a long 50 road to 50 interviews. What a great interview it is. Phil, thank you so much for coming on to Creating Space. Thanks, Wes. Thanks, Creating Space. And just like that, 50 episodes in the book, Phil Michaels was an obvious choice, as you all can see. You got so much value from this conversation, all the way from how to lead yourself with mindset, how to understand that you are in control with your own destiny, how to even brainstorm different value bombs for running a business, how to bring people in. It's 
just packed with value. I'm so thankful for Phil Michaels coming onto the show. I'm so thankful for every single one of you, especially you who have been here since day one. I appreciate and am over the moon in gratitude for all of you, new, young, old, all of you listeners who keep coming back for more. I hope that I can continue to bring you what you're looking for. If you know there's a peak performer out there that you would love to pass along to me, please give me a shout. You can do that via Instagram, via Facebook, via Twitter. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at at Wesley T. Knight, and I'm on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Wes dot Knight. Just hit me up on any of those mediums. And last thing, if you could do anything for me, to show your appreciation for episode 50, it would be to take a second, give us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think. I really would appreciate a five-star review. That would mean the world to me. And if not, if you would like to pass this message on to someone else, do it via text message or however you like to share it, I would be so grateful if you would continue to press this message along for me. Thank you all so much for your continued support. Episode 50, I cannot wait to continue to grow this message and grow this Creating Space tribe. 